KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. People don't believe it, but I was a quarterback all the way up to uh, college. I even went to uh, Texas A&M as a quarterback. But I, I played both ways in high school, and I made All-State a defensive back in Texas. So when I, when I went to A&M, and one day they came up and said, all right, we're going to redshirt you. I'm like, no, I can play defense too. So the rest is history after that. And our guest this week is former Eagles linebacker William Thomas. Willie T, one of the best linebackers, frankly, in Eagles history. William Thomas, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, So my first question is, what are you doing these days? Uh, Where has life taken you? I'll tell you what. I work at the courthouse in Reading. I run the courtroom for my judge. His name is Judge Scott Lash. And I officiate college football for the ACC which I've been doing that. Uh, this this is my first year in the ACC, but I've been doing it the last eight years or so officiating. So, but with that being said, I I totally enjoyed it. I, I wanted to do something in football and um, I got back to doing that by being on the field and I enjoy it. How did you get into the officiating? What was kind of the origin story there? Was that something you always thought might be an avenue or was it an opportunity that kind of came and you jumped at it? I'll tell you what, it's uh, the NFL sent an email out to ex-players. They basically said if they're an ex-player that want to try officiating, let us know. And like I said, that was about, that, actually, that was about 10 years ago when that came out. And I'm like, hey, never even thought about that, especially since, you know, I was in the tuck rule game with the Raiders and, and, and New England. So there is no way on earth I would, would have even thought about officiating at that point. But I tried it, and uh, they sent us down to uh, Baltimore. And put us in a, in a in a in a room and and went over some of the rules and then they put us out on the field. When they put us on the field, I was like, "Oh, this is where I really needed to be, out there on the field and and still involved with football." How long did it take you to kind of get your arms around officiating? Because I mean, it's it's a lot. Obviously, uh, I'm sure you were well versed in the rules as a player, but you've got to take that to another level. You know, how long did did you feel comfortable right away? Was it overwhelming at first? You know, when they put me, I'm, I'm an umpire, so I was right behind the linebackers. So that, to me, that was right at home for me. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm just not making a tackle, you know, but I can read the plays and and, and decipher everything. That's what made it uh, officiating. That's what made me really like it because it was it was like playing football, but it, I wasn't having to make the tackle. And I was also being a part of reading the plays and dissecting the things, you know. But it really wasn't that hard. The rules are always, you're always studying the rules because they're so complex. So many different little exceptions and to the rule, to this, that, and the other. Those are the small things of, of officiating that you really had to get down. As a former player, how much does having that experience kind of knowing maybe when a scrum is just a scrum and when it could escalate to something more kind of having gone through it, how much does that kind of help you when it comes to dealing with the players and kind of knowing how far to let something go before it's time to step in or before it's time to to throw a flag? Because I would imagine that's a skill set that if you didn't play at a high level, you could struggle with. Well, I'll tell you, the thing is, you're right. Playing the game of football totally helped. I mean, it helped 100%. And it made it a lot easier for me to decipher when to throw a flag, when not to, and also to also talk to the players. You know, sometimes just talking to the players will keep them 
from fouling. If you if you go out there and talk to them, hey man, I saw that, and you know, next time be careful what you're doing, and they they'll respond to you. Okay, ref, I got you. I'll take care of that. They, they do that, and and for the game itself, just knowing the game of football helps tremendously as an official because you you know it. You, you're a part of it. We're part of the game. So when we have to throw a, a flag, it's the more we know about the game, the better. So let's talk a little bit about your life. As a player, what's your earliest football memory? Was football always your top sport when you were a kid? <laughs> man, I grew up in Texas, man. <laughs> so so with that being said, you know, we're we're born with footballs in our hands down there. <laughs> so football, I mean, I played it ever since the second grade. And basketball was my favorite sport, actually, but I just couldn't make it in basketball. Football, football paved the way, so I mean, that's what I stuck with. You're known in, in Philadelphia for your play at linebacker. Were you always a linebacker growing up, or were you moved all over the place playing different positions? Oh, man. I was. People don't believe it, but I was a quarterback all the way up to uh, college. I even went to uh, Texas A&M as a quarterback, but I, I played both ways in high school, and I made all-state a defensive back in Texas. So, you know. So when I, when I went to A&M, one day they came up and said, all right, we're going to redshirt you. I'm like, no. I can play defense too, so the rest is history after that. Did you miss quarterbacking once it wasn't something you did anymore? Because, I mean, you know, I think every kid at some point wants to be a, the, the starting quarterback. Was that hard to give up? Well, the thing was, I mean, I was always the type of player, like, all right, let me see what I'm going to do next. I love quarterback because I played it my whole life, but they didn't have it in their plans. You know what I'm saying? You can just tell it wasn't in their plans for me to play quarterback. So. I, I did the next best thing would move on and, and try something different, which I've always done my whole life. How much did having that experience, though, as a quarterback help you defensively? Because you know the thought process of a quarterback. You maybe know what a quarterback will try to do, try to get away with as far as throwing a ball in a tight spot. How much did, and especially when you look at your body of work as a linebacker in the NFL, you, the way you were able to intercept passes and all, was that a big factor in maybe what made you so special at that position? Well, yes, because, you know, I, I knew that the quarterback eventually had to had to look where he was going to throw the football. As much as they try to look you off, they do have to still look at where they're going to throw the football. And you have some that are really good at, at looking players off, and you have some that really stare the guys down. And also, it's, it, it came with, um, with uh, studying the film. We, we we studied a lot of films, so when it came up in certain um, certain formations, you know, I kind of knew what what passes were going to come out of those formations. So okay, when when you see it one 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 play develop, say okay, wait, I know what's going to happen here, and then you, you you take a chance on jumping the route, and you know sometimes you get the interception, and sometimes you don't. And I guess kind of the same question: your defensive back time. I mean, it seems like. I guess it's not hard to kind of see how you became the player you are, given the the resume and the skill sets you were able to develop leading up to it. Right. I mean, I would say, you know, that I was I can say I'm a, I was an all around athlete. Just let's put it that way, because, you know, some people can't catch. Some people can't do certain things. But, I, you know, I could catch, but I wasn't fast enough to be a receiver. So therefore, you know, now I play defense. But when the ball's in there, I go get it. Catching was an easy thing. It was easy. It was definitely easy, but and some people can't catch. I was I was blessed with good hands and and blessed with great with uh well I want to say great but I, I have to say good good instincts to go out there and read the play and decipher the play and make and make the play also. So you have success at Texas A and M. 
When do you start to really feel like you've got a chance at the NFL? Were you confident of that even before college? No, I, you know, as a kid, you know, you used to tell you, you tell your parents, I'm going to grow up and be a professional football player, but you're just saying it as a kid. You don't really know. When I uh, played through high school and got a, got a scholarship to go to Texas A&M, I'm just out there playing. In the NFL, if it came, great. But I'm just out there having fun and playing the game of football. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the scouts start coming to, to see you and work you out. Oh, this is a possibility. So, you know, then it happened. But I'll just live in the moment. I guess I say I'm a in the moment type of person. What happens at that moment is what's going to happen. So you get drafted by the Eagles in the fourth round out of in 1991. You talked about talking to scouts and workout stuff like that. Did you have a feel that the Eagles were very interested in you or when they were the ones that, that called your name, were you surprised? Well, they came out. I kind of thought that um, I think Pete Carroll was with the Jets at that time when I was at AM because he came out and worked me out when I was at uh, AM. I know I remember him coming to to AM. And if you're not in the first round or so, you're not going to get a lot of phone calls throughout the draft process. So I really didn't have a clue who was going to draft me. And sitting around waiting that long for the draft, was, it was a long wait. But when the, when the phone call actually came, like, hey, all right, great, let's make this happen. Did you know anything about the city of Philadelphia and kind of the fan base and what you were getting into? No, I didn't. But I tell you, once once I made it to Philly, it was easy, you know, because cause the defense was, was what ran the team. And you were around guys like Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, Jerome Brown, Seth Joyner, Byron Evans, all those type guys. It was easy for me as a defensive-minded player to come to Philly because it was all defense. Was it intimidating at all? You mentioned that list of names you just ran off and you're jumping in with them. Was it intimidating at all or did it just feel like you were right at home? Well, it comes with the territory. I'm, I kind of just fit right in. You know, they say, hey, Rook, just turn it back in us and we'll make the play. And that's what I did. To come to a team that was totally defensive minded was, was right up my alley. What was the difference for you? from a respect of speed of the game, was it a big jump or did it, I mean, Texas A&M, you're playing high level college football, but did it feel like you had taken another step up when you start playing in the NFL? No, it wasn't. It wasn't that much of a deal. Like even when they talk about officiating, when I, when you go to different levels of officiating, it's still, to me, it's still football. It's still got to go out there. You still got to go out there and make plays. You still got to go out there and learn the plays and do the right thing out there on the field to be successful. And the same with officiating. You still got to go out there and officiate the guys as if you were officiating guys in high school. They are faster, they are bigger, but they still foul. And we still have to throw the fouls on them, you know? So I'm curious, you come to Philadelphia. What was your first impression of Veteran Stadium and playing there and playing on that turf and playing in front of those Eagles fans? Do you remember your first game, in, your first game there? Well, the thing about Philly, as long as you play hard, they're going to love you. But if you're a prima donna and, and this, that, and other, they're going to hate you if you're not out there playing hard for them. That's what they're known for, and that's they, they hold true to that. And me, I just went out and played hard and played the best I could when I went out. What are some of your favorite Eagles memories from your time in Philadelphia on the field? You know, being able to, to make the plays out there on the field, you know, like first interception for a touchdown and things like that. Those things are that stick out the most to me, like, because that's something that defensive players don't get a, get a chance to do a lot. You know, score touchdowns and, and make big plays like that. Some people go through the NFL and don't even have an interception at the linebacker position or safety position sometimes. So to be able to to go out there and make those things happen in a good amount. And it, it was, it was uh, to me, it was, a, it was a blessing. I had a great time doing it. It was fun. 
that was fun. But it all it all seemed like it went by so fast though. Who was the the coach that you played for with the Eagles that resonated the most with you? Be it the head coach or the assistant, who did you have the best connections with? Well, I would say when Ray Rose coaching staff came in, Joe Vitt was my coach, and that coaching staff for some reason seemed like it was a more of a player coach type of uh, mentality or feel. I mean, it felt like we were all close to him, you know. And some coaches and some coaching staffs. You don't get that. And I think that's where the low comes in between a good team and a bad team. We need to take a break. We will have more with former Eagle William Thomas right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one, former Eagles linebacker William Thomas. One of the favorite teams you were a part of for me was that 95 team under, you mentioned Ray Rhodes. It was a group that started slow. Uh, You had a lot of guys on that team i mean you had your ricky waters and 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 stuff like that but it had a lot of working class guys a lot of guys that had been other places and kind of found their their niche there you had that incredible playoff game against detroit was there a group that resonated the most for you where or where does that that group resonate because that was just a really fun season that 95 season yeah it was it was you know that was the first time we went to the playoffs in a while and actually going and still and won a won the first round of that playoff game against the, the Lions. That was a that was a big game. But that was the first time, you know, that tried to turn things around against the Cowboys. For all those years, up until then, the Cowboys were beating us two games a year and and it was just tough time. When they came in and, and turned things around and, and the I think the, the team chemistry changed and guys started believing in themselves and they brought in a, two great schemes with an offense and a and a great defensive scheme. That helped. And we all just um we played, we played for them. That's, that's what players play for their coach, and that's what happened. One of the highlights of that 95 season was the Dallas game. You mentioned earlier that you guys broke through against Dallas. Of course, that's the game where the Cowboys went for it twice on fourth and one, I think, at their own 30. Didn't get it, ran the same play. What's going through your mind as that's unfolding? How stunned were you that they went for it you know, before time was called, and then they decided to go for it again? The thing was, I mean – you knew they were going to go for it because they were the Cowboys. They were they went on top of their game. I mean, they had they had a great offensive line. Of course, they're going to go for it. But the thing to go for it twice and run the exact same play—that's the one that really surprised you. Like, okay, they're going to run the exact same play. So that's that's that was a amount of disrespect there. So you know, everyone stepped up and made the play. Made the play again. Was that about as loud as you ever heard the vet? Man, the vet—they just get so loud at many times. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. If you're making big plays out there, they're they're going to be loud anyway. But yeah, I, I would have to say so because it was it was the turning of the ties there. You know, it, it started it started something that hadn't been done in a while. Actually, beating the Cowboys. And then I think we referenced earlier that playoff game against the Detroit Lions, where you guys, I was there in the stands, and it was surreal to watch how I think you guys forced seven turnovers. You had a pick for a touchdown. Uh, that was, of course, the Lomas Brown game where I can't remember exactly, but Lomas Brown basically guaranteed a victory, and the crowd started chanting Lomas, Lomas. What was what was that experience like? Especially that first half, where I don't know that if I asked you to draw up a perfect half, it could have gone any better than what actually transpired. I know, right? A hell mary at, at halftime, everything, right? It was it was nuts. But I tell you what, I I think the key is is when when the other team puts up something for the bulletin board, like the Lomas, the the comment. When you put things up like that for a team to see all week, 
and to get fired up on all week. You don't, that's why you don't put that type of stuff out there. Even if that's what you feel, you don't put it up out there so the team can look at it and, and have a fuel to sit there and, and, and burn all week. You don't, you don't have that. You don't do that. Because when you do that, things like that happen, like what happened in the game. Because everything we did was was clicking on all cylinders, defense, offense, everything, special teams, every 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 aspect of our team was 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 clicking that day. You mentioned, you know, when you came in, you you kind of had a laundry list of just the Eagle legends you joined on that defense. Who was the most impactful on you as a football player? Either just being their teammate, what they enabled you to do on the field, or knowledge they imparted to you. Is there anybody whose relationship? during your time with the Eagles just was really special? Well, I'll tell you what, a guy that I really, who really took me under his wing was uh, Kenny Rose. He was a, he was one of the linebackers on the team and he was by far pound for pound, the strongest guy on the team at that time. So he took me under his wing as far as working out and, and getting a good, good workout ethic. So with that, he, he was always uh, looking out for me, but learning the game of football came from, all the guys around me, Seth, Byron, Reggie, Eric Allen, is how they studied the game. From that aspect, I learned a lot from them, just learning how to, to be a professional. But actually taking me under his wing was Kenny Rose, as far as you know, we, we, we actually roomed together on the road, and we always worked out together. Some of those years that you were on, you were with the Eagles, it seemed like the defense was well ahead of the offense. What was practice like you know playing around I mean the level you played at obviously and then you're surrounded with Hall of Famers uh, how much fun was it just to practice being a part of that defense well I'll tell you what being a part of that defense we knew going out every Sunday that we were going to pounce all on teams no matter what you know it, it went so far as we told the offense hey guys just don't turn the ball over you know, you can do three three plays and and punt it every time. We're still going to win this game because we felt like as a defense, we were going to score on, on defense. Or we we're going to make a way for our team to win on defense. And that's the mentality that that went through every player on that defense. And I, I think everyone took it personal to, to go out there and, and make things happen for our defense that year. And, you know, unfortunately, we lost Randall the first game of the season that year in 91. And that's... You know, that that took a lot from our offense because he was a key focal point of the offense. So, like we said, we were winning games like 6-3, 10-7, and, and losing games that way too, which made it tough for us. But like I said, we, we said, hey, guys, just don't turn the ball over on our side of the field, and we'll win this game. When you kind of look back, especially you mentioned that 91 team and Randall got hurt and Jim McMahon played well, but he – he was pretty beat up by that point in his career and he was in and out of the lineup. Kind of how frustrating is it that if Randall stays healthy, even if you have McMahon, a healthy McMahon, I mean, what, what that team could have done because the defense was just another level. Well, I'll tell you what, the game that, that cost us that year was when we lost to Dallas Cowboys toward the end of the year and it made us go 10 and six instead of 11 and five. If we'd have made it into the playoffs, I think we would probably would have taken it all away just from a defensive perspective. But we, you know that that game that we lost to Dallas kept us from getting into the playoffs. And like you said, we didn't have Randall, and we we almost made it. We went ten and six without a quarterback, 
and that's that's saying a lot for a team who who's who didn't have a, a their their ace quarterback and had to deal with guys like what Pat Ryan and all kind of names came out of the woodworks. Right, Dave Kemp, Jeff Kemp and things like it was it was it was crazy. But that's how you can tell what type of defense we had. We still had a winning winning season and we didn't have a, a starting quarterback the first, you know. So you spend nine years with the Eagles and then the last two years of your career with the Raiders. Uh, and we'll talk about as much as you want to talk about the Tuck game in a minute. But what was it like going from a place that you'd known your entire career to the Raiders? You were going, obviously, to another. That was a very veteran team, that that Raider team you joined. What was it like, you know, changing teams that late in your career? Well, it's, it's definitely not something that I wanted to do. I, I, you know, I had no choice in the matter because, you know, I, I wanted to stay an Eagle my whole my whole career. That was one of my, you know, when you make a, uh, what is it, a goal as a player, that was one of my goals. I just wanted to start and finish with the same team. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But when I went to Oakland, the mentality was kind of different out there. Like, I, I can't really explain it. You know, in Philly, we, it was a certain way, but then in Oakland, it was another way. But the fans were the same from both in both teams because they're nuts about their team, you know. But to going to Oakland, it was different because I was on a team and didn't know it at the time that we were really in contention for Super Bowl. Not just not just winning the division. We were in contention to win the Super Bowl the two years I was there. So that was a uh, that was an experience in itself. You know, that was a great experience to to know going into the season that you're a front runner for the Super Bowl. And the team, we we played well and we played great, but we didn't make it, but we were close. And the nine years in, in Philly, you know, I had a great time in Philly because I'm always associated with Philly. That's how, you know, I was, I was nine years here. So I feel I'm an eagle through and through. But the, the time in Oakland, I had a great experience because we had a chance to actually get a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I never really had that that opportunity before. So with the Raiders, we mentioned earlier the Tuck game, and it ends up being the final game of your career. As someone in that game, and for people who aren't familiar, that was the playoff game with the a young Tom Brady and the Patriots. Uh, looked like he had been hit and fumbled, and they decided after a long delay that he had thrown the ball. It's known as the Tuck rule, and it kind of changed things forever. What was it like? Did you think there was any chance they were going to overturn it or change it? Were you confident? All right, we got this. Where were you, like, mentally when it's when it's transpiring? Well, you know, the thing is, you know, when you're out there on the field, I'm, I was on the field, and I, I looked at it and, you know, looked like a fumble on the field. And as the replay has been shown up on the screen, I actually started taking my shoulder pads off. I was like, oh, this is a done deal. Because, you know, it seemed like he brought it back to his hands. He, you know, he brought it back into his body. And then he was hit. When he was hit, that's when his arm went forward. He did, His arm didn't go forward by him throwing it. His arm went forward because he got hit. So, you know, looking at it on the screen, I was like, okay, this is a done deal. But then they overturned it. Like, whoa, wait a minute. And uh, I think someone asked me the question, why didn't you guys just stop him again? I said, well, you haven't been in a situation where all the the wind is just kicked out of you. And it's some sometimes sometimes you can't you can't overcome it. And that's one of those things we couldn't overcome. It's like, oh man, you know, every, all, the cell just went out of everyone, and I think that's that's how they ended up winning because we really didn't have anything left to fight after that. Do you remember? Were there any real time conversations you had with any of the officials? Were you like, you know, or did you not talk to anybody at all? And just like once did you they got the final ruling? You're like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, you just you just go back out on the field and kind of like, all right, let's go back out here and play. But it's one of those things that you wish that everyone on the team would have just like got totally pissed off and like, wait a minute, nah, you know, we we beat them this much, we're gonna beat them, keep on beating them. But that's not what happened. It's like a it's like a mental thing. I think it's just just took everything out of us, and 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 that's how New England went on to win. Yeah, and I think a lot of people at this point don't realize, like, you, you talk about a, a moment in time, you know, look what happened to New England after that, you know, they turn into a dynasty, but if that call stands, who knows what it looks like? You know, it's it's a legitimate question. Right. It's, it's, it's true. I mean, but, you know, the, the next year, the, the rule changed. I can say this, like, okay, you know, it was bad for us then, but it actually happened for a reason for them to change that rule and which needed to be changed. That's your last game in the NFL. You were still playing at a high level. Was it, were you just that frustrated? Was it, you wanted to get out while the, while you were, you know, still healthy? Like what, why didn't you, you keep going? Well, the thing is, um, I, my goal was to play 10, play 10 years. And my 10th year, we lost in a championship game to the Baltimore Ravens. And I had never gone that far before. So, oh, wait, well, you know, we keep the same team intact. You know, we might have a chance to do it again, you know, to, and actually make it to the Super Bowl. But then the tuck rule happens. All right, that's enough for me. I, I can't take anymore. And I didn't want to be one of those guys sitting out there running around and, oh, why is he still playing? You know, because he shouldn't be out there. I didn't want to be that guy. And, and plus, I had a good time. I, I thought it was long enough and it was time to go. You make that decision, but do you ever, those first couple of years after you retired, did you ever get that itch when training camp would come and maybe you still feel pretty good and maybe make a call? Or were you comfortable that, you know, for the, like once the you closed the book, it stayed closed? Well, once I closed it, and, and, and I would say this, if someone probably would have reached out and probably said, hey, come out and play, I probably would have thought about it. But as far as me leaving, I was like, all right, I'm gone. As a, when a player, when you go ahead and make your mind up, and unless someone calls you and say, "Hey, man, we really need you," then then that's when you think about it. But I, you know, I'm not that that person. When I say, "Okay, I'm done," I'm out of there. What are you most proud of from your football days, your your playing days? Um, I think the fact that I actually that you actually made it. You know, it's it's, it's hard to make it, and for so long. You know, you, they say you're undecided. You can't do this. You can't do that. Actually, I lasted 11 years, and 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 did some things out there that a lot of people didn't do and hadn't done in their careers. So I, I was happy with that. And it's interesting. You're one of the things that we talked about the interceptions. Like you were phenomenal at covering tight ends in the passing game. Obviously, your ball skills, but just your coverage skills. It would seem to me if William Thomas came out of college. This year, you would be a prized type of player because I think it seems to me that your skill set to today's defensive schemes was almost heaven sent. Well, I, man, I think that all the time now. I'm like, man, with them throwing the ball 60 times a game, I I, I think I'd be having a field day out there. You know, you, and, I mean, tackles are a part of the game, but when you get an interception, you get a turnover, that that means a lot. And to me, that was that was what I tr I tried to thrive on getting the ball. If we get the ball, then that means everyone's fired up, the defense fired up, offense fired up, the team is ready to go, and 
you know, also to get a chance to play uh, offense again, <laughs> to actually run the football and make plays. But today's game, I would love to be in today's game. And plus, they don't even practice as hard as we used to back in the day either. So you know, I'd be having a good old time. And I think you referenced this when we got started, but the, how many times does it go through your, your head that like the game that I don't want to say chased you out, but kind of helped you decide it was enough is a game that turned on a controversial official's decision. And now lo and behold, you're an official. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I tell people that story all the time. I tell them all the time. I say, man, I actually, my last NFL game was a daggone tuck rule game. And for me to be a guy in the stripes right now, you guys would never think that would have thought that would have happened because I'm definitely a man in stripes. But I tell you what, I enjoy it. I have a great time. Uh, you meet meet great people along the way, too. Yeah. Is the camaraderie within the, the world of officiating and with the crew you work with, like, is it kind of the same as as it was during your playing days? It's almost exactly the same because, you know, guys have fun with each other and, and, and bust each other's balls like we do back in the day. You in the locker room is in the locker room. <laughs> you make a lot of jokes, but then you get out there on the field and you be serious out on the field and you do what you're supposed to do out there on the field to make things happen. As an official, our ideal game is for people not to know the officials are even there. If we can get out there and not throw a flag and the game runs smoothly and no one no one knows we're there, awesome. That'd be that's the game of a lifetime. William Thomas, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Uh, you're welcome. Anytime. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank William Thomas for being our guest this week. Also, many thanks to Steve Switkowitz for his help in connecting me with William Thomas. Steve's a player marketing rep, so if you are looking to book a player, say for an appearance, he can be reached at 610-703-8479. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.